It's time to get out your Atari tapes for Cloak and Dagger today on Cinema Oblivia. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on forgotten, unremembered, discarded, and otherwise not talked about films. I'm your host, James Eldred. Who's joining me today? Oh, it's me. It's uh, Tony yeah. Resnick. Hey, Tony. Hey, what's up, fellow uh, film um, aficionado, film fan, I guess. You have completed the holy trinity of my film friends from college being on this podcast. Happy to do so. When I had Pepel on, I talked about the time all three of us went to go see Requiem for a Dream and Dude in My Car. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Yes. <laughs> the yin and yang of cinema that year, for sure. Yes, and then and then driving home in a blizzard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That yeah. happened often in college. Yeah, good 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 Northwest Ohio time. So do you want to tell people about yourself at all, Tony? Um Maybe you an know, enigma. I mean, I'm an enigma. I'm a nobody, you know. i right. you know, I mean I've uh, you know, like the film, I'm not, you know, but yeah, you know, no, no big deal. No big deal. That's me. Tony, you're a big deal to me. Oh, okay. I'll take that. No. All right. Yes. But today we're talking about Cloak and Dagger, the 1984 Atari themed spy film <laughs> starring the kid from E.T. and the bad guy from 9 to 5. <laughs> exactly. A nostalgia bomb for anybody who was born between 1975 and 1980, I would imagine. Tony, you wanted to talk about this one. Why did you pick this one? Oh, because of the man, the myth, the legend, the amazing, the incomparable Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman is pretty great. Yes, he is in this. Did you see this when you were a kid? I Actually, I did. I saw it, um, I, I would say, probably you know the 18 months after it was released, I saw it. When it was on HBO, I'd imagine. Oh, okay. All right. I remember my dad took me to see this in the theater. Oh, my uh, gosh. Yes. When I, so I was, what, five. So, again, the recurring theme of this podcast of my dad being a terrible censor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess after he let me and my brother watch The Warriors and Revenge of the Nerds, he took me to go see Cloak and Dagger. You, you know, the parenting in the film, you know, I, I, he might be <laughs> on par He's, he's a little bit better than the parenting that happens in the film, that's for sure. Well, we saw this. I was talking to my mom to get the timeline right, but I watched this probably six months before my parents got divorced the first time. So there, he was just prepping me for a single dad lifestyle you know, experience um, portrayal, I guess. <laughs> so, Did they even talk? Oh, I, I guess there is a moment of where they talk about in the film about what, how, why Dabney is a single dad, but, but yeah. Well, mom's dead, yeah. Mom's dead, yes. Mom's dead. And that's why the kid's fucked in the head. But we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, I watched this in the theater, and I've seen it off and on throughout the years on TV. And as a kid, it made an impression because when I was a little kid, I was an Atari fanatic. Just absolutely obsessed with video games. What about you? Oh, absolutely. I, I owned a, a 2600, and yeah, I mean, they were amazing. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I and I'm sure that was why I wanted to go see this, and I, and I, I wonder if my dad even liked it. I was reading a lot about this movie. A lot of people say I, I saw this with my dad. You know, that's a common theme with this movie. Dabney Coleman said that in an interview, people will come up to him and say, "Yeah, I saw that movie with my dad. We liked it." So it is a very much a '80s kid and the dad movie, I guess. I don't know. You know that, and maybe Monster Monster Squad. I guess you know are the two the two big ones. But that's I, I would I would agree. Yeah, I would yeah, I would say there's probably more for my, more for dads in this because it has the espionage, and I think a, a grown up could watch this movie in the '80s and not be bored to tears on like a lot of kids' movies. I I would suspect. I mean, I guess maybe I don't know. Watching it as an adult myself, I kept wondering. <laughs> You know, why the hell did I love this movie so much when I was growing up? Like, I swear that I I had seen it on HBO, but then I think I would go and I would rent it pretty regularly. You know, the name is really cool. Um, yeah. The action in it. I, I honestly that I was really surprised with just how uh, as an adult, I was just like, good Lord, what is going on in this movie? Really? But yeah. Huh. Yeah, I I, re, I rewatched it this week, and I watched it again a little, uh, last year, and I still like it. I still think it's a fun movie. I think it has some major plot contrivances, and parts of it are kind of silly, but it moves at a good pace. It's not boring, really, and I think it, it's it's a fun, and also that I think the nostalgia plays a huge factor in it. Like, well, I I think you're exactly right. It's with the nostalgia. I I, I think you know thinking back to when I was a child and watching it, all the reasons I, I can tell why, you know, a young, young Tony really, really identified with the film in terms of, you know, nobody believes what, you know, the main character is saying when he's being chased and, and just all those, all those things I could really identify with, with the, you know, being a child, I guess. Yeah. And it, it is, yeah, the, the kid being, no one believing the kid. I, I feel like that was a common trope in eighties kids movies of, some kid stumbled upon a secret and nobody believes him. You know, I think a little Goonies has that. Monster Squad has that. You Ex- know, to a certain extent, extent, the Explorers has that of like these kids find some secret and they can't trust the parents to do anything. So they have to do it themselves. Oh, it's, yes. Uh, yeah. And apparently like that, that, that the, the kernel of this story, the kid sees a murder and nobody believes him. That is taken from an actual like old short story or book by a guy named Cornell Woolrich. You know he's old. His name is Cornell. And uh, <laughs> he wrote... <laughs> he got me with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so he wrote a story called The Boy Who Cried Murder. Uh, and I don't know exactly when that story came out, but there have been movies based on it several times. This is the fourth version of the movie, of that story. There wow. was... There was one in 1970 called Eyewitness that I have never heard of, and that stars nobody. And also, or has Susan George, if you know who Susan George is. She was in Straw Dogs mm-hmm. um, in a few British movies. And then, then there was one from 1966 called The Boy Cried Murder. <laughs> and it's a great name for a movie. It is. And that one looks, that one looks, I haven't seen this one, but this one looks British as fuck. <laughs> uh, and it was it was directed by a dude named George George Brixton, who was a child actor in all those Andy Hardy movies, and then became a director. And so that was made in England with a cast I really don't know. But the very first version was called The Window, and that was made in 1949. And I watched that this week, just 
because you know why the fuck not and that has bobby driscoll bobby driscoll is the kid in treasure island and song of the south oh wow yes (laughs) wow (laughs) he was also the he was also the model for the disney's peter pan and i think he's the voice of peter pan in those yes he is the voice of peter pan so he was a big child actor like every child actor from the 50s his story and sadly we won't talk about that but I watched that this week, and that's a good movie. It's it's kind of a tight little film noir. It's like seventy minutes, and all the foundation is there. It's a, a, a kid sees a murder, and nobody believes him. And the I would, but obviously, there's no video game connection. It's 1947, but yeah. 1949. But the another big difference in the movie is the parents and cops solution to this kid lying all the time is you know someone really needs to beat the shit out of your boy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the 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 kid goes to the cops. It's like my upstairs neighbors killed someone. I'm like sure they did. They take the kid home. You know you gotta put some discipline in this kid. It was sure. your belt. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, as dated as Cloak and Dagger is, it's not as dated as I think. I think the window in 1984 was more dated than Cloak and Dagger is in 2021. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But the, yeah. I do recommend it. that movie's on Prime. So is Cloak and Dagger, but the movie that movie's available to rent on Amazon and it's pretty good. Like if you got, you know, 70 minutes to kill, you can do a hell of a lot worse. Yeah, maybe I'll watch it this weekend. Yeah, it's a good one. But that's what it's based on. And the movie was written, Cloak and Dagger was written by Tom Holland, who again also has a these kids know some shit and adults don't believe them because mm-hmm. he was the writer and director for Fright Night and Child's Play. Yeah. When 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 I saw the notes that he that he was the writer of Child's Play, I was like, wow, this guy, his films are definitely in my wheelhouse. Child's Play's a fantastic movie. No relation uh, to uh 2021's Tom Holland, but uh No, no yeah. different Tom Holland, yes. Different and Tom Holland. Yeah. He wrote and direct Fright he wrote and directed Fright Night. He only wrote Child's Play. Yeah. He also wrote and directed Thinner, unfortunately. So, you know, hmm. they can't all be winners. Exactly. He also, yeah. He also directed the Whoopi Goldberg cocaine cop movie, Fatal Beauty. I did not know that movie existed, but wow. It's Whoopi Goldberg and Sam Elliott. Are, it's a buddy cop movie of Whoopi Goldberg and Sam Elliott. That, wow, that is uh, definitely different sides of the tracks. I could not see Sam Elliott in a buddy film, let alone one with Whoopi Goldberg. Wow. Yes, it, yeah. My my brother loved that movie because he has bad taste in movies. And really? Oh my gosh! Yes. When when and uh, Tom Holland also wrote a fantastic piece of uh, '80s sleaze called "The Class of 1984," which is just amazing exploitation movie with Michael J. Fox, and directed by the director of Commando. And that's a uh, this super dark, super bloody, gross. Uh, it feels like a movie from the seventies that was made in the early eighties. I highly recommend that movie. It's fantastic. Wow. So, when are you doing an episode on that one? That's on my list, man. I, it should I, be. That movie, sounds amazing. I didn't realize that movie existed as well. It's good. It's really good. It ha- oh, it also has a Roddy McDowell. Oh and, my God. Yes. And Roddy McDowell's this, this strung out teacher who at one point just brings a fucking gun to school and threatens <laughs> the kids, 
threatens to kill the kids unless they can talk about biology. It's a it's a dark movie, and it could not be made now. It's it's the way it treats violence in schools is very much a product of its time. Also, all the drugs and no, all the drug abuse in that movie is the mystical '80s drug that makes you want to fly. You know, like well, you know, anyone who takes the drug is like, I can do anything. You know that kind of move, but yeah, yeah. it's yeah. That's a great, great movie. I, I'll I really have to check that, that out for sure. Wow, oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, uh, did, did but you but you've seen Child's Play and Fright Night, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Also, great eighties. Kids see some shit, and adults don't believe them. Mm-hmm. Uh, pieces of work. Yeah, and I I did not know one until I started looking into this that the director of this movie was Australian, a guy named Richard Franklin. Do you ever watch a lot of Australian movies, like especially like seventies or eighties ones? Uh, no, I do not. No? kind of coming up a lot on this podcast like when uh Peppel and i were talking about bmx bandits that's a, that's an australian movie well, that's and the that only one that i have watched i'm sorry yes <laughs> but you've seen mad max and shit yes and of course kind of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah there was a big boom in the in the 70s to early 80s of like australian exploitation movies there's a fantastic documentary about them called not quite hollywood that movie is dedicated to this director richard franklin because he passed away around the time it came out in 2007 and if you want to watch a movie to get a documentary that will give you like 8,000 movies you want to watch, that's the one. Like, I watched that back when I lived in Pittsburgh and back when Netflix still, you, I was still getting the net DVDs by mail mm-hmm. <laughs> in Netflix. And after watching Not Not Quite Hollywood, I think me and my friends were just watching Australian sleaze like every week for like two or three months. It's wow. a really good documentary. He did a lot of that stuff. He directed some great exploitation films in Australia. He directed Patrick, which is like the movie about a telekinetic kid in a coma who kills people. And it's great movie. And he directed Road Games with Jamie Lee Curtis and the poor man's Dabney Coleman, Stacey Keach. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, that is the poor yeah. man's Dabney Coleman for sure. Yes. And that's a great, great B-movie also set in the outback, and it looks great, and it's just a fantastic movie. He went on to do Psycho 2 in America, which I have. Have you seen the Psycho sequels? I did not. I have not. I heard they're better than everyone, than you would imagine. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I've seen Psycho 4. Henry Thomas, who's in this movie, is in Psycho 4. You're and right. Psycho 4, okay. Yeah. Psycho 4 is a prequel, and it's... Not a movie. Don't make the same mistake I did, kids. Don't watch the movie about incest with your parents. And because I did. And (laughs) (laughs) good. Thanks, Dad. And uh, but Psycho 4 is a great movie. It's really creepy. And I heard good things about Psycho 2 and Psycho 3. So I'll have to check them out someday. Have you seen any other movies by this director at all, though? Have you seen FX2? You know, FX2, I am, uh, I believe I did catch that uh, before. Um, I just remember the main actor in it. I can't forget. I forget his name, though. Brian um, Brown? He, I, I guess so. Yes, Brian, Brian Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Australian, right? Yeah. So, yes, he is. Very. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I I have seen FX2. I Actually, I haven't seen FX1, so... FX1 is a good movie. That's not Richard Franklin. It's somebody else. But FX, there are two movies about a, a, a special effects guy, hence the title, who gets involved with some FBI shit. And FX1's a, a really clever movie. I, I recommend FX. FX2 I only saw once. I don't remember anything about it. 
other than that Brian Denny, he's in it also. Yeah. He's in FX. Yeah. But this is the last movie this director made. Well, that, that was the last movie he made in America. He went back to Australia and did a lot of TV work there. He, like I said, he passed away in 03, 07. But he's, a, I think, an underrated director. If anybody does like B-movies or exploitation, I highly recommend you check out his Australian work. He brought his composer with him, Brian May, who was not that Brian May. Hmm. <laughs> I was hoping. I was hoping. Yeah, but no. no. That's that's what that's like record collector one hundred and one. You go to you go to you you go to like when I used to go to Jerry's in Pittsburgh and buy records. You would see like Mad Max, Brian May. It's like wow, Brian May did the score to Mad Max. It's not that Brian May. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the guy from Queen. Uh. He did eight. Yeah, he did eight million Australian films, and including the first two Mad Max films. He's a good composer, but yeah, it's not. You know, but Jimmy Page. It is. It is Death Wish two. It is that Jimmy Page, but <laughs> Mad Max, not that Brian May. So, uh, oh, oh well, too, too yeah, bad. Yeah, too bad. Yeah, yeah. The only other real person behind the scenes who I think is interesting about this movie is the producer, Alan Carr, because I've seen a many of his films and did not know it was, this was him. He's kind of a well-known for being, he was very gay. He was like exceptionally gay. Mm-hmm. He he was a big promoter and advertiser, and he he's one of the reasons why Tommy and Saturday Night Fever was so popular. He promote he helped promote the hell out of those movies, and that got him production work. And he he, he produced this movie I watched a while ago called CC and Company, which is a biker film starring Joe Namath and Ad Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> I can only I can only think of Joe Namath, uh, you know, when he's inebriated, you know, like when he's and and him with Anne Margaret, that would be wow, that would be hilarious. I had to turn it off. Actually, it's one of that. I almost never do that. But it was like half the movie is also just them fighting to the song CC Rider. (laughs) 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 And I love me some Mitch Ryder Detroit Wheels, but. That only takes it so far. That movie's terrible. But he did go on to um, produce and write uh, and, and well, at least I think do some writing on Grease. So big movie. Yeah. Uh, Grease 2, not so big a movie. Oh, come and, on, Michelle Fiverr. Yeah. And Can't Stop the Music. You know what that is? Mm, no. That's the Village People movie. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. I... I own that on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of all my friends, you would be the one who would. Yes. Do you have any other gay friends? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have better taste than me? That's fine. It's cool. Uh, okay. hey, I man. don't know. Yeah. I got into an argument. Did you listen to the episode about the apple yet? Uh, you know what? I didn't finish it. That's fine. That's fine. I get into an argument with Shane about what is the better bad movie, Can't Stop the Music or the Apple. I, I love... <sighs> There are parts of Can't Stop the Music I ironic I I unironically love, and there are parts that are hilarious. And for me, that's un, uh, that are unintentionally hilarious. And for me, that's the best kind of bad movie that it has actual good parts mixed in with the hilariously bad parts. And it has Steve Gutenberg. So, sure, yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> but, but this was like one of the last movies he produced because after this, he produced the night the nineteen eighty nine Academy Awards, which is legendarily bad. And had the music has an actress playing Snow White singing Proud Mary with Rob Lowe. Turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it, 
this, you're gonna get a lot the, of what the fuck '80s moments when I talk about this movie and the people yeah. involved with it. Yeah, seriously. And then that, yeah, <laughs> that, that was the first Oscars that Bruce Valanche worked on, and I think he was the only person who didn't get fired. It was a complete like train wreck. It completely, it, it practically got Alan Carr blacklisted in Hollywood. He had he went he went to Broadway, did fine on Broadway. He sure. passed away in in '99, but wow. he he is there's a documentary about him, and like he just seemed like the most like if you want to do cocaine and hang out with a queen in the 70s man he was the dude like yeah it just yeah man i don't know if he was a but this the scene he was in he, he very flamboyant very like that's back when they couldn't say he was gay but everyone said he was flamboyant and you knew what it meant yeah yeah like mm-hmm. yeah definitely that kind of dude but he, he seems like an interesting guy and you know, I if you're gonna go out and if you're gonna go out, go out with you know cloak and dagger. I guess it's better to go out on cloak and dagger than go out with Greece too. Yeah, okay, I guess I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Have you seen Greece too? Yeah, oh, of course. Of course, of course. No one's ever said of course <laughs> to that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I ha- I have though. I have though. I want to say once I mistakenly rented it. I thought I was running Greece, and I rented Greece too, and I was really the surprised. Flag is really I was tiny. Yeah. I was really confused. I was like, when the hell did Michelle Pfeiffer show up? Yeah, and then just, yeah. But yeah, I, I stuck through it. I tried to watch it. And um, okay, yeah, you're right. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But <laughs> but I mean, hey, let, let's face it. It lives up to all the, you know, the adage of what all sequels are. You know, they're not as good as the original. So, no, well, not even, all of them. Even with, but, you know, I, I don't know who uh, Matthew Maxwell Caulfield is, but I'd probably rather watch him than John Travolta now. So, you know, and well, I probably. like Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. So, yeah. It started as a game. Now they are playing for keeps. Trying to kill us. And the only person who believes him is a legendary agent named Flack. Oh. Cloak and Dagger. Rated PG. Starts Friday at select theaters. Check newspapers for locations. You know, really, you know, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what this movie's about. But if you don't, Tony, what's a quick rundown of what's the, what's the hook? What's the plot line of this movie? Well, we have uh, little Davey, uh, who's played by Henry Thomas. And he is kind of living in the world of fantasy. He's, he's super, super infatuated with make-believe and particularly a character um, called Jack Flack. Um, he's being raised by his father who is played by Dabney Coleman. And when, when Davey, you know, imagines being on missions or doing things with, uh, Jack Flack as a marginary friend, it's actually his father in that role. Well, it's, it's, it's Dabney Coleman in the role. It's it's Dabney Coleman in the role. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because the the personalities are very different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, no, no. They are. It's Dabney Coleman playing Jack Flack, but I always yeah. thought it was interesting that that's who he imagined as his, you know, you know, this is fantasy figure in his life was played well, by think, his father. I think, you know, you got to this, you know, I think when Henry Thomas made this, he was probably like 12, I would imagine. How old was he? He was, he was like, yeah, he was, he was, geez, he was almost 13. He was 13 when he made this. And, but I think this movie's made for kids younger than him. Oh, Absolutely. And, and when you're younger than him, when you're like seven or eight, your dad's your hero, right? Very, very true. And, or you want him to be at least. So I think 
that plays into this idea of like when you're a little kid, your dad, you, you, you wish either you think your dad can do no wrong or you wish your dad could do no wrong. And so then, so taking his dad and making him being this superhero spy, kind of cold and merciless too. Also like Jack Black, don't give a shit if you die. This is true. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of, kind of thing. I think that's very much a a childhood fantasy. I think Henry Thomas is very good as Davy. I would Uh, agree. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, coming, you know, in in the time period of when when he was, you know, making this film, it was it was really interesting that you know, obviously, he had just come off being an ET, and yeah. he was huge. He was probably the world's you know most famous child actor of the time. Oh, so, totally. So I mean, I mean, I imagine it was it was a huge get when they decided to cast him in the role, and and because of that, they went ahead and you know actually had it take place in his hometown, which I know you were going to yeah. get to. Yeah, no, that's, that, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's from San Antonio. And they, so they, they set the movie in San Antonio because it would be easier for him to work there. You know, he could still go to school and he was like, I got to eat dinner at home. It was great. I'm like, Oh, it's out actors, you know? So, <laughs> but yeah, he only really made like four, like four or five movies as, as a little kid. He only, only made like, He's in Raggedy Man, which is a Sissy Spacek movie I've never heard of. Mm -hmm. And then E.T. And then something called Misunderstanding with Gene Hackman, which I also never heard of. And then this. And then a movie, an Australian movie, strangely enough, by Brian Trichard Smith, the the, the guy who did BMX Bandits, called, in America, it's called The Quest. In most other countries, it's called Frog Dreaming. Hmm. And that's a that's a good that's a good kids movie. I, I I saw that as a kid on video from the, from my dad's video store, and that's a good another good kids movie. Parts of it are well, parts of it are kind of problematic if you know anything about Aborigine people, but most most Americans who are eight years old don't. So I didn't know that. And but yeah, I recommend Fog Dreaming if you want a good kids movie. It is. It is, but after that, he really didn't do all the much kids work, and he's still around and stuff. Like he's in that, that Blyhouse show on Netflix, The Haunting mm-hmm. of Blyhouse, and a, a few other things. But yeah, he is really good in this. I, I'm I'm surprised he didn't do more as a kid, and like nothing else he did other than ET did well. <laughs> yeah, I know. Whenever whenever I think of one of the best, you know, comebacks uh, to call someone, you know, it, what's always been like super imprinted into my brain is to call someone penis breath. So, I mean, that's his, that's his claim to fame. Uh, you know, it's just referring to someone as penis breath. So that's an ET, right? It is. It is. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I guess it's also, it's an ET and it was totally ad-libbed and that's why the, the mom and the, and the, and the scene is like shocked. She like laughs because uh, it came out of nowhere. Did you ever? Did you ever? Did you ever say a bad word or an insult in front of your parents that you said in the set, but they thought it was funny anyway? That's oh, always yes. a good, oh, good yeah. feeling. Mm-hmm. I remember one time, uh, my brother decided to going back to Psycho decided to scare me in the shower, and when I was like twelve, I think, and so I threw something at him, and I and I said, "You're a fucking dickweed," and. <laughs> my, <laughs> my mom then my brother said to my mom like mom james called me a bad word and a dickweed and she said don't act like one <laughs> so I always, like well there you go i win i could <laughs> see that i could see that happening 
Yeah, I think I think Dabney Coleman does steal the show a lot because Dabney Coleman's just great. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I I think what I really I mean, what I love about Dabney Coleman is he always plays an asshole. Um <laughs> yeah. I mean he is. Every every role you can think of, he he is he is just a complete just dickhead. Yeah. And he's um, a good eighties dickhead. Like he's oh, he's he, He's the grown-up version of the kid from Karate Kid. Like he's not like as the stereotype '80s asshole. Like, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah no, nine to five, yeah, nine to five, um, war games, you you name it. Any film that he's been in, he 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 plays a dick. I mean, I'm even thinking like into the '90s. Like even he was in like movies like Clifford and things like that. He was an asshole. <laughs> and um, I mean, yeah, he, he, even into the 2000s when he was in uh, Boardwalk Empire. I mean, he he played a really really grimy, uh, you know dickhead you know he was a pedophile in that in that, in that ugh, show ugh. well yeah yeah i mean you yeah, find well, out you later know. on that he wasn't like not like right away he, he wasn't like actively in the show like being one but um but yeah always always a villain and uh, what's interesting is in this role he is you know a fictional hero but then he's also you know davy's real life hero in the film yeah and it's yeah. it's really different yeah i would say he's kind of a minor antagonist to, to davy but not in a in a villainous way he's definitely you know he's he's not the world's greatest dad but he's trying to do the best for his kid and like when you see davy 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 has davy has problems like oh, yeah he's <laughs> davy davy is delusional yes absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah he's he's past the point of having an imaginary friend like his mom has passed away and his his coping mechanism is jack flack is real and davy is a real spot davy just lives the world like he's a spy. He has a toy gun that would get him killed in 2021. Oh yeah. Like absolutely. Yeah, no, no orange tip. And this walks around holding it like he's gonna ready to, you know, jack somebody. And I get like, but his dad, Hal, he's in he's in the military, just doesn't have time for it. He's trying his best and he's he's a very nineteen eighties dad of like mental health. What's that? Like, you know. Well, no, that that and then also just, you know, I, I like how the movie really kind of illustrated how parenting was to a degree in the 80s as well. Like, oh, the totally. Kids, the kids are on their own all day. You know, they're riding the bus to downtown San Antonio. You know, I want to say at the end of the film, the the the, the girl in the film, <laughs> Kim, is like taking the bus at midnight you know, to, the, what? To, to the airport. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, where the hell are the parents in this movie? Like, yeah, that I, is yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> and I think that plays a lot. Like, I think that's an exaggerated view of what it was like in the 80s. I think I think I when I was watching this with my boyfriend, I was like, if there was a little girl that age on the bus to the airport without <laughs> anybody around her, someone, someone would be like, are you OK? Is everything OK? <sighs> But if he well, was like, but 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 if that kid is like, I meet my mom, like, oh okay, that's fine, or, you know, like, or yeah. even when even when he's getting a cab ride by a complete stranger, you know, <laughs> you know, eleven o'clock at night, you know, some <laughs> some of the cabbies are like, get out of here, no way, but there's this one cab guy's like, yeah, why not? I'll give you a ride. It's like, I, I mean, in real life, that's he's probably the kid's never coming back, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the cab driver's just taking him home. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you notice? Did, did you see who the cab driver was? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I did a spit take when I did Louis Anderson. It was, yeah, it was amazing. It was, well, yeah, the, the the cab driver who tells me who, the cab the cabbie who tells him to go to hell is Louis Anderson, and the other cabbie is Christopher Guest's brother, Nicholas Guest. Oh my god! 
Yes. And he's in a movie by Walter Hill called The Long Riders, which is a great, the best example of stunt casting ever because Jesse James is played by James Keach and Frank James is Stacy Keach. <laughs> and all of the Carradines, David, Keith, and Robert Carradine are the younger brothers. The Miller brothers are played by Dennis Quaid and Randy Quaid. And the Ford brothers are played by Christopher Guest and, and, and Nicholas Guest. So that's how I knew Christopher Guest had a brother who was an actor because yeah. of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I mean, I have I'm looking through his IMDb. He wasn't. He wasn't quite a few things. He looks yeah, like he, he does a lot around. of voiceover work, and yeah, he was in uh, yeah. National, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, things like that. So yeah, small stuff, parts, but, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I do think going back to Dabney Coleman, we kind of lost track there. But Dabney Coleman, I do. I think he does a good job of going back and forth into characters, like because Jack Flack, Jack Flack is like one step removed from a psycho, from a like a sociopath. Like, oh yeah. He just doesn't give a shit that people die, and it's he's like it's part of the job, and I I feel like that's almost a coping mechanism for Davy, like Jack Flack is telling Davy not to care that his mom's dead, more or less. No, that's you're how right. I read that. Yeah, 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 I could see that definitely. Yeah, he um, I, you know, I I think you know, growing up, I I loved uh the Jack Black the Jack Flack character just because uh, it's hard not to say Jack Black, but Jack yeah. Flack. The Jack Flack to character. remake this movie. I got an they, idea. They should. No, honestly, think about yeah. it. He'd be perfect yeah. for it. Um, yeah. Maybe not playing the dad, but playing the Jack Flack role. But yeah, yeah. just the fact that he had a, a imaginary friend who, you know, was helping in those situations. And my imaginary friend growing up didn't like give me advice, really, you know, but his imaginary friend, though, you know, he gives him like, well, do this, you know, walk this way across the street. You don't have to look both ways, yes. you know. So, so, yeah, you're exactly right. He's very he's very um, let's get it done. Point A to point B type of character, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And one more thing I want to say about Dabney Coleman is just last night. I watched um, I watched Viva Knievel, which is the late seventies movie about Viva, about Eva Knievel with Eva Knievel playing himself, and Leslie Nielsen plays a drug dealer in that, <laughs> and Dabney Coleman plays a corrupt psychiatric doctor in Mexico. Imagine that. He's the asshole. No, He's yeah. He's the asshole. And when it comes time, when 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 Leslie Nielsen wants him to drug up and murder Gene Kelly, who's in this movie, Dabney Coleman's like, no problem. And this was in the late 70s? Yes, this is the movie that Gene Kelly made before Xanadu. Uh, it's terrible. I highly recommend it. Just like... <laughs> It's, it's terrible. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Again, it, it doesn't have a lot of actual good stuff in it, but it is hilarious and it has some terrible special effects. And Evil Knievel, Evil Knievel, the character of Evil Knievel in Viva Knievel is like a saint. The very first scene in the film, he's giving toys to orphans. <laughs> like, <it's> just <laughs> no, man. That's another one on Amazon in glorious HD. Two thumbs up watch Viva Knievel. It's horrible and you'll love it. I'm adding it to my queue as we speak. Please do, yes. And I will probably talk about it on this podcast at some point. But yes, in the movie, Davy has a friend, Kim. Kim's kind of annoying. Kim 
is very child actress. That's Christina Negra. That's her name. And she's very child actor. I feel like precocious. Oh, a- absolutely. I, I, she does such a great job of being child actorish, as he put it, that I swear I had seen her, you know, in other films, but it wasn't her, you know, <laughs> she, yeah. she really didn't do much. Yeah. Yeah. She quit acting. She's a lawyer. She grew up. Good well, for her. She, then she did quite a bit, but professionally, yeah, yeah. but not yes. as a, as an actress. Yes, he got out. But yes, he's, I think he's kind of annoying, but I don't know if she's annoying or her character is annoying. It's kind of hard to tell. Well, that's, like, and, and that's a part of the film that, um, watching it as an adult that I kind of really didn't realize that like, yeah, you know, I, there's, there's parts where, uh, you know, I mean, there, there are parts where, uh, Henry Thomas is like super annoying and I don't know if it's just because I'm an adult and they're kids, but like, but yeah, you're right. It's irritating. Yeah. Yeah. Kid, well, kids are annoying. You know, like I, I, I teach English here in Japan and I don't teach kids because I'm a patient English teacher for adults. But if I had to deal with some little kid being a shithead, I'd probably smack him and I would be to be, be deported. So I can't do that. I know my limits. (laughs) No, it's good. It's good. Yeah, it is. They do have a friend who was a grown up uh, (laughs) in the movie. Morris, played by William Forsyth, unrecognizably. I I know. I, I, I didn't realize it was him, but yeah. Yeah, he gained. I was I was digging in. I read an, an interview of he did a few years back. He gained seventy pounds for this movie. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I find that hard to believe, but yeah, he says but I know that, he said that. He said yes. He says he gained seventy pounds for this movie. Now, whether or not that he gained weight for sure, he definitely gained weight. He is bigger, and, yes, and he gave himself that horrible beard, just yeah. absolutely horrible beard and threw himself in this role as this very very stereotypical if you imagine what who's gonna own a gaming store in the mid 80s this guy right yeah and it's a successful one which blows my mind but yeah well yeah it's well yeah it's 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 I'll get into that, but it, it, it was probably very successful in the early 80s, yes. But is it successful? Because he just spends yeah. the whole time in the <laughs> back room. That's, that's true. You're right. Who knows? I'm just saying because of the, the real estate that it's at. I mean, it's like in a mall, like a, you know, a huge 80s mall that's, you know, yeah. and, you know, he has a pretty big size footprint in the mall. So yeah. one would think he has to somehow be paying the bills, but. Yeah, but he's just hanging out with two kids all day, like hanging a normal with, adult does. Hanging out yeah. with two preteens all day, just just kicking it in the back of the store. Yeah, yeah it is. That is really weird that, um, <laughs> that that come to think of it, and that and and that's really one of the first scenes in the movie. Like the kids yeah. are just hanging out with him. Yeah, and yeah. he's his his beard is not the um the. <laughs> you're right. It's a scraggly beard. It's almost Amish like to an extent. Um. But uh, I think the best way to describe that character is if you transplanted transplanted him to 2020 or 2021, he'd be on Twitter telling you about how feminism is not real. This is true. Absolutely. That's that's the kind of character he looks like. He'd wear a fedora and he'd refer to every woman as milady. You're right. Or a bitch. Like no no middle ground. Well, under his breath. Yeah, for sure. Yes, you know the character's fine. It's, well, I think we're, oh, we're bringing our we're bringing our own stuff into this. There's we are totally. It's about the character, but just the situation is so strange. Well, but, I mean, there's nothing nefarious other than his two best friends or two preteens. But anyways, 
He runs a video store. I, I, I'm sorry. Sorry. No, no. A video game store. My bad. Now, that, now to think of it, when I was a little kid, I used to hang out a lot at Software Etc. in the mall. And I'm sure I drove those clerks crazy. Like, I'm sure in like they must have like, oh, there's that 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 weird tall kid that. Oh, God, I hate that kid, you know, but. At the time, I just would go there and hang out, you know, and and read the backs of, you know, video game boxes all day. So that part makes sense. The idea of the clerk thinking the kids are great, that's not so much. No, not no. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know your stuff, and I'm sure you were probably a good customer, and that's why they probably tolerated you. Well, your parents were probably good customers. And my dad had a store in the mall, so that was that too, I guess, you know. Yeah. That's back when we had a video store in the mall. Oh, that's crazy. for like two years, we had a video store in the mall. It was mostly retail. It wasn't a lot of rental, but that was a yeah. That it, it was it was weird. Like someone's to make an eighties movie about a kid who can get access to the back of a mall because like being able to like and make a mystery or something about about running oh. around a mall because being able to go through all the back back yeah the tunnels and malls mall, are are amazing yeah yeah that was when you were when I was a kid that was awesome was like this is the back of the Spencers wow like. <laughs> <laughs> I actually spent some time at the South Hills Village Mall and th- the back of that mall, like all the tunnels and stuff were amazing. There were like stairwells and like it was like a I don't know, like a, you know, like a 1980s high school in the back of the mall, though. It, it was really interesting. But yeah, yeah. Mall tunnels really cool. Atari makes the world's most popular home video games. The only space invaders. The only asteroids. The only Pac-Man. The only missile command. And soon, the only defender. And the only way you can play any of them is on a home video system made by Atari. talk about since we're talking about morris i, I want to get into since we're already on the nerd let's get deep in the nerd shit let's get this done yes so talking about also what what i want to talk about what's there and why this all this game stuff is there so cloak and dagger is a movie first and it's also a video game kind of sort of so there is a game called cloak and dagger it's the game in the movie in the movie the mcguffin you know uh Davy sees someone get murdered. He hands him this video game. He says there's a, co- a secret in it, and these spies want to get it from him. And the video game is a copy of Cloak and Dagger. So Cloak and Dagger was an arcade game, kind of. So it's, okay, I'm getting I'm getting very deep in arcade nerdianism. I said put my glasses up a bit higher. So no, Cloak and Dagger was a con- mm-hmm. yes, Cloak and Dagger was an arcade game released in 1984. It was a conversion kit, which means it was not it was probably never sold as a standalone cabinet. It was sold as something you could put in another cabinet that was no longer making money. So if an arcade had Joust or Defender, they could take out that board, put in the Cloak and Dagger board, put new paneling on the sides and the top, and they got a new game. That's that's how Cloak and Dagger existed. It was developed as a game called Agent X. There's a comment, there's a... Jack Flack says he used to be called Agent X in the movie. That's kind of an in-joke to the game being called Agent X. But the game and the movie have nothing to do with each other. The Cloak and Dagger game, you're a spy infiltrating a a base and there's bombs. It has zero to do with with the movie. It's just 
it's pretty much just product placement because this is this was probably greenlit in 82 or early 83 I would imagine when video games were just massively huge. So they put it in there. But the the problem with that is this was probably greenlit in 82 83 at the exact same time the video game crash happened. Do you know anything about that Tony? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um so, I mean yeah. It's so it's so funny, and I'm sure I don't want to steal your thunder on this at all. Go ahead, but no, I mean, no, please go. But I mean, the 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 mere fact that um, you know Henry Thomas is the main character in this film, and the fact that <laughs> like his picture, I want to say, was on the cartridge for the ET Atari game yeah. is is like it. I don't know. It's kismet. I mean, it does. It it, it, yeah. it, it, it it's such a crazy coincidence. Yeah, because E.T. was a gigantic bomb for the 2600. It did not kill Atari. A lot of things killed Atari. Atari became so big so fast. I talk about that in the Joysticks episode that's going up in a few weeks from this recording. And when it just died so hard so fast because the market was flooded with crap, one of which being E.T., the video game. So it's funny, in this movie, the Cloak & Dagger cartridge is not a 2600 cartridge. Do you know what it is? I'm sorry, what? It's a 5200 52, 52 cartridge. 5200, yeah. I had a 5200 growing up. I Nobody else did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. your dad owned the video store, so yeah. Exactly. Uh, so the 5200 was the next level. The 5200 was kind of a... So Atari did a lot of stuff back in the early 80s that most people, unless they were really into it, don't think about now. They made computers. They made the Atari 400, 800, and 1200, and those are like kind of like Commodore 64s that level of computing. And the 5200 is kind of like a consoleized version of those. They're better. It's it's like a half step to an NES. And they had better graphics, better sound. The version of Pitfall 2 on the 5200 oh, is dope. You can you can <laughs> feel the alligators, man. You can no, feel the crocodiles. No, it's long. It's oh, twice as long. No way. It, it has a whole secret world. And you're mocking me and I don't care. No, oh, it's not, great. No. Yeah, no, it's it was that was one of the first games I emulated. Like when I, <laughs> oh, and, and yeah, so it's really cool. But like by the time they were making this movie, Atari was not what it was just a year prior. So the game that was supposed to come out, the fifty two hundred tie in, was never made. Production started on it. It was canceled in the in the movie when they're playing the game. That's the arcade game. It's mm-hmm. just the arcade game wired into that TV. The cartridge is obviously a mock-up. Like it does not look the 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 and the box is obviously a mock-up. When you when Davy is walking through the store, I have like a complete nerd moment with all this stuff. And I, I made notes I want to go over it. I was so happy. It's it's, it's kind of like when I was watching Stranger Things and there's in the video store. I wrote that blog post once about how I identified every single box in the video store. That, that's me, man. But mm-hmm. like when he walks through the store, there's a huge display of 5,200 games, and two of them never came out. Cloak yeah. and Dagger <laughs> and Tempest just never came out. Mm-hmm. They, they had to cancel them because the it was losing so much money. But the uh, the back room is just like a smorgasbord of like nerdy Atari shit. It's just, there's, he's on an 800 computer, he has a 5,200 next to his desk, I could tell, like, when Elliot's trying... Elliot. <laughs> when, yeah. No, that's right. I almost, almost called him Elliot twice as well. Fucking Elliot. He, I can see the the yellow the yellow box games on that shelf. Those are the Sesame Street games that came out for the 5200. Oh, wow. Don't ask, don't, I, I know that. 
I mean, I paused the, it to check out some of the different titles and everything yeah. myself, but but yeah, like I didn't realize there were Sesame Street games. Yeah, I, I, even by then I was too old for those, so yeah. I never played those. But there's a uh, a lot of stuff for the computer. There's a disk drive. There's an Atari disk drive and hard drive box. There's a Atari Home File Manager box. The in the in the actual store, I was very surprised they actually had competitors products in the store. Like that would never happen now. If 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 a company tied the movie to a product, you wouldn't. If if there was a like, there's no Sega shit in the Wizard. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like hell no. But there's a ColecoVision, and even in the in the far back, I saw an Intellivision box in oh, the wow. store. So that's crazy to me. But the the craziest thing in the store is in the back room. There's a poster. Did you see the poster? Uh, which one? The ET poster. Oh my God, no! I was I was scanning the store. Uh, I, I rewatched that scene a few times. Of, this is a few weeks ago, just to see because I was like, "Well, he's got to be ET's got to be somewhere. Elliot has to pop up somewhere, you know." <laughs> but but no, I didn't catch the poster. In the back room is a poster for the Atari, and it has a, a ET graphic and a few other games on it. But that's really weird. That's a Japanese poster. Oh, that's wow. a poster. That's a poster for the... Okay, now i got to get super nerdy. Well, you see, that's a poster for the Atari 2800, not the 2600. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it, is, it is the same thing. It is a reboxed Atari 2600, renamed the 2800, I have no idea why, for the Japanese market. It well, came out... It had 200 more, James. Come on. It didn't, though. <laughs> It's, I know, it's I know. Same thing. I, know. I don't know what the numbers even mean on those, but it's yeah, the conversion so, rate. It's the conversion rate, but yeah. <laughs> yeah the, well, the yen was worth. I don't. Yep, yeah, that's a bad. Anyway, I know. Uh, <laughs> but I was watching it with my boyfriend, who is Japanese, and he's he the, the the text is very blurry, so I wasn't thinking about it. But he's like, "That's kanji. That's a Japanese poster." And oh, so wow. I'm not going to try to sh- say it in Japanese, but he translated it. And the tagline, the, the English translated taglines for the Japanese Atari 2800 are, the number of games is different, the excitement is different. And by different, they mean more, I would imagine. <laughs> and, well, it's, it's not a, you know, it's a direct translation. So sure, sure. And yeah. the, the, the slogan for the, it was the world's computer game. Because, it, because I imagine it was called that because it was international. Because uh-huh. it's not the Nintendo or Sega. So... That came out in Japan, sank like a ton of bricks. If you see them in stores here, they're worth a fortune because really? nobody bought them. Yeah. Nobody bought them. It's pretty rare. Wow. So it's it's very rare here. But I just could not understand. I think that must have been the only poster that had E.T. on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I rewatched that. I didn't even catch that one. But was that in the back? Was that in Morris's office? You mean? It's like in back? Morris's office. It's okay. in the, one of the, like the when, right when they are walking to the walkie talkies, it's to the left of that, right by the door. Okay, because there were two posters in there for the fifty two hundred for for Atari. One's for the fifty two hundred, which I love. It shows really up close those joysticks. Those joysticks were garbage. Like that's those are the worst joysticks. The the <laughs> joystick didn't center. Mm-hmm. It was it was oh it was a night those joysticks. Oh anyway yeah sorry going off on a tangent. But those there's only two posters there and one of them's for the Japanese Atari. Like why? Yeah that's oh. That's well. Morris was big into Japanese culture. He was Morris is the first otaku. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have, have yeah. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, I mean, you're touching on a few, on a few things that, that, that kind of popped out. Um, you know, I, I, did it bother you at all that the kids kept referring to all the game cartridges <laughs> as tapes? So that's a good, that's a good question. So that happened back then. I was reading an article, like, cause this is such a nostalgia movie. There's a lot of like, you know, content farm articles about this. And some articles are like, this is, this movie created that, you know, mistakenly phrase, that mistaken phrase for games. Like, no, it didn't like, because of video stores, you would rent tapes. And so games are also called tapes. They would just call them tapes. Wow. You know, I called them tape. I kind of thought maybe that was it, but I cringed every time they said that. (laughs) Yeah. I never heard a kid say that. I've heard adults say it. I could see that. Even, like my mom used to say that, you know. Sure. And oh, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure your mom did the classic thing that uh, you know Davy's dad did, that Dabney Coleman did too, when he was trying to get him to stop playing the game, mm-hmm. which was off the TV. Yeah, but not the game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I was not allowed to have a game in my room until I was almost ten. I think ten, because they knew. They knew if I if if I had a, my Nintendo in my room, I would never stop. I would never leave my room. And they were right because once I turned, once I got it in my room, I was done. Like no, <laughs> outside that's for suckers. Exactly. Did, did you, have you ever played uh, Cloak and Dagger the video game? No, no. It's not good. It's. Uh, <laughs> I can only it, imagine. It, yeah. It looks cool. It has that cool graphic of the guy in the elevator, but there's no there's no animation there really. It's just a sprite. And the game itself, it, it plays kind of like a bad Robotron. And it's it's a weird game. Like you can find it on, if you type in Cloak and Dagger game online, you can play it. Play, play different emulators. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting too is just the whole plot point that the secret scientist that also happens to work <laughs> at a video game manufacturing company, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That his last dying, you know, his last phrase to this kid before he dies, before he hands him the secret cartridge is to get how many points was it? Uh, 1,200,000, something like that. Yeah. You had to score it. Like I, I, I always, I always found that to be, you know, just ridiculous. The fact that, you know, I mean, I guess the whole plot is ridiculous, but when it comes to their smuggling secret military secrets in a video game, Yes, but that's what you're yes, hearing there. And when you see the secrets in it, like the graphics for the blue, it's some military plane or whatever. It's an invisible jet. It's basically the B two bomber mm-hmm. or a stealth bomber. Like the graphics for that are way beyond the capability of any home game system. Like that, like fully three D rendered wireframes. Like no, that's not in a video game. Like that's impossible. But you know, you don't know that when you're watching it in 1985, 84. You don't care. Very very yeah. true. Yes. <laughs> we did forget to mention two more characters that are in the movie because as as um so you know I almost said Elliot again. So Davy gets <laughs> this game tape. He takes it to Morris and then the people who murdered this dude <laughs> to get this game tape start going after Davy and he goes on the run and he runs into this old couple who start to help him. There's a lot going on with those characters. I don't want to get into, but they're played by George McIntyre and Jeanette Nolan, who were a real-life married couple. They were married for 56 years. 
Yeah, which that's that's amazing because they worked together quite a bit too, didn't they? Yes, they learned a ton of stuff together. They both she did. They were both voice actors also. So like she's some of the mother voices in Psycho, and John is the sheriff in Psycho. They're both voices in the Rescuers movie, the first one. They're both in a billion westerns. He's in a billion westerns. He was in fifty movies in ten years. Oh my god. Yeah, just non, just turning them out. His last movie is Turner and Hooch, so he went out on top. Yeah. And, but they were both in, they usually played a married couple. They were in Charlie's Angels as a married couple. They were in The Incredible Hulk as a married couple. They were in Night Court as Dan Fielding's parents. <laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> Which is amazing, yeah. Yeah, that is. So they acted together forever. Good for them, man. Like, that's the kind of relationship. 56 years and working together, that's that's pretty awesome. And they have small roles here, and I don't want to spoil much about their roles. That's the one thing I don't... Well, maybe later, but they are interesting characters, and they do a great job. Oh, yeah. I mean, they... they, yeah. they you know what's, what's brilliant about the scene where they're first introduced is they're... they're Davy is is running away from his the potential kidnappers, the bad guys, yeah. and they yeah. run to. He happens to jump on a, you know, a tourist, uh, you know, uh, I guess a, you know, a tour boat, s- tour boat for San Antonio that's on on the river there. Anyways, mm-hmm. but what's interesting is in that scene is you see Davy kind of, you know, trying to get away from fr- from the kidnappers and Eunice, I guess, is, uh, you know, just off camera, but you see her in the background, like yeah. observing what's going on. It's, it's, it's actually amazing. It's, it, it, it kind of reminded me of, you know, whenever you, how, you know, when you're watching like, uh, you know, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon or something, you could tell when the branch was going to break because it was a different color <laughs> no, or something. Good. That's good. Yeah, you're but, right. But like that, that's what it was almost like. It was like, you could tell that she was going to be in the scene just by how she was reacting. She wasn't just an extra yeah. in the background. So, and then, uh, and then when you watch the movie later, you, again, you, 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 you get a new dimension to their behavior. Very like, true. Because you know something about those characters, but oh, yeah, absolutely. they're good characters. Yeah. Yeah, they, they yeah. are. They're great. They're great. And even the yeah. um, even when they become sinister and you kind of figure yeah. out, I don't want to give away. Yeah. But spoilers. I mean, if anybody, wa- I guess, you know, with spoilers for this, I feel, you know, I mean, it's a it's a yeah, almost a 40 year old movie that anybody listening to this probably saw. Hopefully. If, hopefully. And if you haven't, there's not a ton. I don't want to talk about the ending, but yeah, some stuff happens. And I think. A lot of it's telegraphed pretty well, you know, so I feel it's not a huge spoiler to say that those characters are not as what they seem, you know, especially if you were watch- if you were a parent watching this movie in 1984 and you saw those actors, you would probably recognize the guy. That's true. And be like, well, he has something to do. It's like when I was watching, I showed my boyfriend Stripes, the mm-hmm. movie, you know, the, the yeah. Bill Murray movie Stripes, mm-hmm. and which I had never seen before, Tony. Oh, you're time. kidding! Oh my I god! Know. So now I know why you use. Now I know why you used to say I really wear underwear. When I do, it's something usually different. Yep. <laughs> but John Larroquette shows up in that movie, and I go to Norio. He's the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, why do you know that? Because it's John Larroquette. It's and he's John Larroquette. Bad guy or a pig or both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no middle ground. You got so, it. Same thing with those guys. So up, those guys show up. You know something's up. But I thought you were going to say Norio was like, oh, John Candy's in this movie. <laughs> He did actually. He, oh, he did. No, he, no, Norio said. Norio said. Oh, Judge Reinhold. 
<laughs> that's Those great. Gremlins. Those yeah, gremlins, you that's know. great. Yeah. yeah. This movie came out in 1984, August 10th. It it's weird. If you go to Wikipedia, they're like it came out as part of a double header with a, a double feature with Last Starfighter. Not not really. It was a sneak preview. Like they used can, to do that back then. So you can pay I, to see. Can I tell you though, if, if if I were in the theater at that time, like oh my god, can you think of a better double feature? Like no that, like two video game movies yeah two video game movies last starfighter yeah. oh my god yeah i don't know i that, saw i also saw last starfighter in the theater <laughs> god you were a spoiled child no i'm just joking. i had single parents who wanted my love no i no. don't know <laughs> no i don't know i saw last starfighter with my mom and my brother and i could i even know what theater i saw it in like, that's amazing i saw that on the theater on summit street in toledo ohio that would later close, and that same building is where my was is where one of the video stores we had was. So that's why I know that. But wow. anyway, opened opened wide in August tenth, nineteen eighty four. Critics liked it. It didn't get great reviews, but it didn't get terrible reviews. Like I found some of them. One of them was like this review from the South South Town Star in Tinsley Tinley Park, Illinois, by Ken McKillen. He said it was one of the summer's most original films, not a bloodbath like Gremlins or Indiana Jones and the <laughs> Temple of Doom. So, I mean, he's not wrong. True. The um, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, woohoo, Marilyn Riccio, however you say that name, sees like it's most entertaining, clever and beautifully shot in San Antonio. However, it has moral problems. <laughs> so, well, Maybe she's talking uh, about the the... You know the six-year-old on a on a bus at midnight going to the airport. Maybe that's it. She is talking about the kid from ET being locked in a trunk with a dead body. Well, there's that too. There's that too. Yes, and so yeah, those are the typical reviews. It's like a lot of more like it's far-fetched, but it's fun. Kids will like it. You know, if if and a lot of more like you got to use your own judgment here because it might scare little little kids because of the violence. But it's not that violent. I guess it is more violent than a kids movie you'd see today. You know, very true. Yeah, the machine guns, the machine guns. Like they're trying to kill that kid. They are they are shooting yes. Uzis at that kid. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. But it came out in uh, August tenth, eighty four. Didn't do great. It opened in seventh place with about two point eight million. It was beaten by the eighty four was a rough year if you were not Gremlins or Ghostbusters. <laughs> so <laughs> Gremlins was in its tenth week. It beat. Cloak and Dagger, Karate Kid, eighth week, Revenge of the Nerds again, <laughs> Purple Rain in its third week, Ghostbusters in its tenth week, oh with my God. almost six million dollars, and then the number one movie in America on August, in the weekend of August tenth was Red Dawn, wow. the very first movie released with a PG thirteen rating wow. was Red Dawn. So I don't know why I know that, but it, so. It finished with a little under ten million. I can't imagine it cost that much to make, but it certainly wasn't a hit. That was probably its strongest week, I imagine. Oh, obviously, yeah, yeah. You know, so, but it, it was the eighty-second highest-grossing film that year. 
DC cab made more than <laughs> Cloak and Dagger. <laughs> but but it made more than Streets of Fire. So hey, you know. Yeah. Uh, all three of those films, DC Cab, Cloak and Dagger, Streets of Fire, worth watching. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I thought you were going to say something Cap. like all shot on the same soundstage. No. All um, starring Mr. T. No. All oh yeah. <laughs> DC yeah, but I but I contributed to that box office. You did not. You saw it on HBO. It yeah. was on HBO. It was on HBO a lot. It was on TV a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I I it's funny watching it as you get older. Like as a kid, I could not have understood what the hell was going on. I can't imagine I did. No, absolutely. I mean, even as an adult, there was some a little bit of ambiguity when it came to, you know, just the whole the whole time where they head off to, you know, the very beginning when they head to a video game manufacturing company to figure out, you know, to try to pick up. I don't even what they were picking up for Morris, like daily listings or something, but they're there and. Yeah, the whole thing where yeah, obviously there are these bad guys who are chasing someone, and you know he observes it and sees the murder happen. It's all very quick. Yeah, yeah. As a kid, I probably would not understand that Dabney Coleman is playing two characters. Like, yeah. the the whole concept of him being, and I read that a lot online. Like people are like, I didn't even understand that that was an imaginary character. You know, because it's such a strange concept to put on a film. You know, so for kids. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just I, hard to follow for a kid, or like they don't really explicitly say what those bad guys want. It's just you know something in the cartridge, and exactly, yeah, yeah. You, you, you don't understand that, but then also, I, I I think maybe they made a mistake in actually having Dabney Coleman play Jack Flack, but um, mm. or or maybe they should have, you know, I I mean one of the one of the biggest things is that you know obviously he has. You know, he's gray haired when he's dad and he's jet black hair when he's Jack Flack. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't big enough of a, of, a, of a change to really, you know, not make it as confusing as it happens to be. Yeah, I, I think maybe I think Dabney Coleman's great in this movie. But if he would have played maybe the dad a little more strict, I don't think he could have played Jack any bigger. If he played Jack too big, it would be corny. True. So I think maybe playing down down key the dad a bit i guess i don't know it's it's a hard thing to do what what what, what, what you know we're uh backseat directing and acting at this point so it's hard to say but i this for me it would be confusing but watching it now it's like this is very much a movie for kids it's a you know it's a child's understanding of espionage that you know davy does see someone get murdered and he seems to get over it pretty quick <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's got nothing yeah, I don't know. I guess you know. I, I you're 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 dead on. Yeah, a, a child yeah. would probably messed up a little bit more than. Yeah, like he sees him get murdered. He the the cops have to take him home to his dad, and the dad's mad at him for he thinks lying. And then he's like, "You want to hang out this weekend?" I was like, "Yeah, dad, I do." <laughs> like, and he does the. Can I sleep in your bed tonight, Dad? It's like, sir, son, and it's just very you know, quaint. It's not like I saw a man die. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I think, I think the cop even says something like, you know, when he was at the police headquarters, he was, they couldn't even get him to talk. You know, his his friend Kim did all the talking and that's how they found out everything because he wouldn't tell him anything but his, his serial number and, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, it's weird. And like when you again when you watch it as an adult, there's so many contrivances. Like if like why would the hitmen show up the next day to break in this kid's house and probably kill him? Like if they don't want people to believe the kid, they shouldn't do that. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. Know? It's just and then like this is their plan is to go into his home and murder him in broad daylight and then blow up the entire neighborhood. Like <laughs> Yeah. Jesus. This Cold War got hot. It did. Super hot. <laughs> Super hot. Yeah. But no, I think I think it's still, even with those problems, I think it holds up well. I don't know if it holds up for it as a kid's movie. You know, because it's, what would a kid even, a kid wouldn't even know what the, what the hell a cartridge is or a game tape is. No, you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said in the beginning, you had to be born between 1975 and 1980 to really grab a hold of this film. It's it's something that I think when we're in retirement homes, we're going to be like, oh, do you remember? <laughs> Let's watch Cloak and Dagger. Oh, God, yeah. It's our, So what you're saying is it's our generation has gone off the wind. It is. It kind of is. Yeah. I mean, because there's no, <laughs> there's no reference point for anyone else. I mean, other than the yeah. whole... You know that 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 nobody believes Davy that that he saw the murder happen. You know, I think that's that that holds true of children even to today, where you know they see something they they want to report it or whatever, and you know adults just don't believe them. Like you've got an overactive imagination. I don't know. I remember having that angst as a child. Yeah, and that yeah. and that's and I, that's what really hits home. Yeah, it really does. There's one scene in the film that really confuses me. The scene when it looks like the bad guy can see Jack. Yeah. No, absolutely. There's a scene. So when when Davey murders someone, when Elliot from E.T. <laughs> shoots someone in, with a gun and kills them, it's because, <laughs> it's because the bad guy is temporarily distracted because he can kind of see Jack. What's your read on that? That, uh, as a child, I remember always, like, rooting for him that, yeah, you know, his imagination went, you know, helps him win, I guess. You know, makes him victorious. And and that it's him, you know, the fact that Jack Flack is so instrumental in his life that it's him willing him to exist. You know, because obviously Jack is sacrificing himself, you know, because he's going to get shot. But, but... But yeah, man, I don't know. Like, it, it, w- honestly, as an adult, it, it's like were there were there sewer fumes or something at the time, and every, <laughs> and, and, and and every and somehow he was able to project this figment of his, his imagination. You know, that the villain sees it. I don't know. It's but tough. There's a weird part where Davy says he doesn't believe in Jack anymore, and then Jack dies. The bullets, the bullet holes become real, and he bleeds out and dies. <laughs> and Jack says. He says he it's just like your dad with cowboys and Indians. And he says, I hate the part about having to go away when they stop believing. So it's almost like he's some kind of metaphysical being. Yeah. <laughs> he's not just an imaginary friend. He is a thing that has a consciousness. And it's a very strange thing to stick in this movie. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. To make it's a strange thing to stick in this movie to make a good enough contrivance for Elliot from ET to murder someone with a gun. <laughs> I mean, how about his quick thinking, you know, on his feet there, where he gets the the one guy caught up in the crossfire? I mean, obviously it's Jack Flack that like suggests it, but I mean, 
you know, the, the, the second henchman, I guess, you know, before, yeah, yeah. before the ultimate back, I get shot. Like I was like, wow, that's some pretty, pretty cool covert stuff going on. Yeah, man. He must've read it in one of the, the books is like Jack Flack is a character and like a, it looks like to be a Dungeons and Dragons type game. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of, cause they're playing a turn-based game with, with, Twenty sided dice in the beginning. This movie does also touch a little bit on the role playing game moral panic, a little bit because mm-hmm. like the games that the dad takes out of his room are not the Atari games. He takes out his role playing games. Yeah, which and, I thought was interesting because they probably could have, you know, obviously video games were were hitting tough times, and, and this was probably I don't know if it was funded or somehow you know cross promotion if it was a cross promotion yeah, yeah exactly but but like it's almost like those you know they could have actually just had it be all about you know the role-playing games to an extent yeah i bet the, i bet so in the first draft of the movie that i've read about it was donkey kong <laughs> the game oh, was okay. donkey kong and but i wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if there was a draft in the writer's head that it was about a role-playing game it was going to be know. tough to train that monkey to be the jack flack character <laughs> Then Mario Mario teaches uh, Davy to murder someone. Mm-hmm. Oh, Davy, you gotta kill him. Davy, you gotta me. get in a pie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's oh, it's no. funny that you say. Um, you know, I I had completely forgotten about the part where Jack Flack had said that it was the same as what happened to Davy's dad when you yeah. know when he stopped something playing. something like that. He says something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're right, and it's it's almost like yeah, you're right that it is some sort of mythological being or or, or, or something. Um, I'm just wondering if somehow it influenced Drop Dead Fred, um, <laughs> a movie that I will never talk about. Exactly. I don't. I you got anything else you really want to add to the 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 cloak and dagger? You know, discourse. Anything? Well, <laughs> I mean. It just it, it is. It's it's definitely a nostalgia pick, and it's it's definitely a, a, a Saturday afternoon well spent watching a movie that's uh, you know you could probably watch with your kids and explain you know a little bit about the way video games were you know back in the eighties. Yeah, I would say if you have an older kid, maybe like you know pu- pushing ten or so, and they're interested in old games because. So a lot of kids are like I, I talk to people, you know, parents, and they have little kids who want to play old games sometimes, and they're interested in that stuff. This might be a good movie for them. You know, they might find it interesting. Uh, it's fun, you know, for them, but for the most part, it's a nostalgia bomb. I do think it is hilarious if you go to the INDB and the, the more like this section, they nailed it because the more like this are Daryl, oh wow, the robot, the robot boy movie, Flight of the Navigator. Oh God! Yes, explorers, space camp, little monsters with Fudge Savage. <laughs> <laughs> well, imaginary friend, yeah. Yeah, short, short circuit, kind of the '80s technology, never-ending story, and of course, the wizard. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, wi- the wizard. For a while, you could buy a DVD two-pack with Cloak and Dagger and the Wizard. <laughs> Oh, no, that makes perfect sense. It's like, yeah, they know. They know. So mm-hmm. Cloak and Dagger was written by Tom Holland. The Wizard is directed by Todd Holland, not the same person. Just if anybody, you know, any <laughs> Wizard fanatics out there. I don't know. I don't want to give them the wrong idea. But I think Cloak and Dagger is a better film for adults in 2021 than The Wizard is. 
Oh, yeah. 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 The wizard, the wizard does not hold up unless you want to see some Mario Brothers. And I don't know, Denny Lewis. I, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's the wizard's a bad movie. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I did see that in the theater, though. But yes, it is. It is. I also saw the, I also saw the wizard. How, in the how could you not see that in the theater? I saw that. That was one, though, that my mom would not take me to. I think I, I had a neighbor's parents. They took me to. To the, and then we, they waited until it was playing in the Dollar Theater. So they knew. They were like, no, look, I took you to see the Transformers movie. We're not doing this. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that was it. As also, when The Wizard came out a few years later, I was 10 years old at that point. If they really wanted to, they could have dropped me off. Oh, yeah. I could have seen that. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit older by that point. Cloak and Dagger, I'm five. No, you got to take oh. me. So, yeah. But yeah, no. I think I think that'll do it. I think yeah, definitely if you can, if it's on as on Amazon, and if if you're feeling for some '80s vibes, you can do a lot worse than this movie. It's it's a lot of fun. It's just strange enough to be different. And again, if you're a big video game geek, then you you'll be like me, and you'll be using your 4K TV to pause and freeze frame all the shit in the video game store because you're a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely all right well thanks again for coming to talk today tony it was nice hearing from you absolutely Uh, what do you want to say when anyone can find you online or you want to be like matt and be a mystery oh you can i can be a mystery but if you're if you're if you're digging deep and you want to find me i'm at not that finder uh on twitter not that finder Mm mm-hmm that's a, oh yeah okay well there you go then and you can find me on twitter at lost turntable and on my website that i still update losttunetable.com that's another episode of cinema oblivio we'll be back next week for talking about another good old movie thanks for listening